It's a very dramatic gospel reading. It's all of John chapter 9, and, and reading it is very fun, and I'm sure listening, it, listening to it is very fun because of the back and forth and how ridiculous it got at some points where it was so repetitive and the Pharisees were so clearly refusing to see what just happened. They're keeping their eyes blind. And the topic of what was happening, Jesus kind of alludes to it earlier. He kind of gives a, a reference to it. The disciples asked the Lord a question with a great assumption there. Who sinned that this man was born blind? This man in his mother's womb or his parents? Which, just for the record, I don't know how you're able to sin in a womb. <laughs> it's going to punch the womb, you know, in the inside. There's no reason. I don't know. But either way... Uh, the assumption here was that somebody did something, sinned, you know, and that's a very terrible way of thinking, isn't it? I think a lot of us in the community think that way. We're stuck as Jews. We haven't been baptized yet. To see that sometimes there's a different reason, allowance for evil and suffering. Uh, we're stuck in this mindset when we see somebody sick and we just immediately allude to, oh, what did they do? What happened? That's a terrible way of thinking, a very terrible, toxic way of thinking. So we want to baptize that way of thinking. We want to baptize it and address the question, which is the very question, in my opinion, in my experience, which is what keeps most people from the faith, keeps most people from God, and that's the question of evil and suffering. Evil and suffering. And so you have two alternatives that you're faced with, brothers and sisters. Two alternatives. One, God is this cruel and sadistic God, who although people say he's sitting up at his throne, he's refusing to come down and change all the evil and wipe out all the natural disasters and fix everything right now. So he must be an evil God because he's so powerful. Why isn't he doing anything? That's one alternative people can choose to accept, actually. You can choose to accept that, anybody in this church. But if you choose to accept that, you have a miserable life. You have no hope. You have no joy. And if anything, you have no free will. If you want a world where God is controlling every single thing, then you have no free will. You're no different than a calculator. Even this homily is pre-programmed. Even your asking that question is pre-programmed. Because God is just doing everything, right? That's what you want. God is doing everything. He's preventing you from sinning. You're not even human anymore. So that's the first option. The second option, parents know this very well is God doesn't force you to choose Him. Parents, you can't tell your kids you have to love me. You can't force your kids to love you and to choose you. That's not love. Rather, you give them the option that God did to Adam and Eve to choose Him, which is what the definition of love is, to free act, right, a free gift, or to reject Him. And the rejection that takes place, brothers and sisters, since the time of Adam and Eve has caused evil, has wrought evil into the world, has wrought even natural disasters from the abuse of how we don't take care of what's in front of us. And a lot of people receive the consequences of that. It wasn't that God wanted people to suffer. God is not sadistic. He doesn't want people to suffer. But He allowed it because of free will. If you accept this option, then you get to have the opportunity to love God. But you also have to deal with the reality that other people don't choose Him. 
Okay, and all that's resolved right there, by the way. All that's resolved right there. And Jesus says, it's not that the parents sin or that this man sin. By the way, the parents' sins oftentimes do affect the kids. That's what the book of Deuteronomy says. Not always, but oftentimes affects the kids. To the second generation, the third, and even the fourth generation. You see some people, I know that family, they're just an angry family. Something is going down in that line. Nevertheless, I want to talk to you about this problem of evil and suffering and how St. Paul approaches it. I'm going to reference three verses, okay? So let's listen to these three verses. The first is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And St. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, who is your spiritual worship. So you have the opportunity to offer any suffering that you go through. Everybody here can relate to that. Every single one of you in this entire church can relate to that in some way, or shape, or form, that you've experienced suffering. Every single one of you can relate to this homily. And St. Paul is showing you how to deal with it. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, who is your spiritual worship. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, I am now, look at this, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. There's some deep theology, and I'm about to break it open in a second. The third is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so this, brothers and sisters, introduces all of us to a term that you should be familiar with. Everybody should be familiar. It's a really important term in Catholic theology. Redemptive suffering. Redemptive suffering. I'm going to define it, and I want to define it twice. Because it's so important. I'm going to read the definition, and I'm going to read it again. Because it's so important. Emphasis for the importance. Human suffering, when accepted and offered up in union with the passion of Christ... Can, rem- can remit the just punishment for one's sins or for the sins of another or for the f- other physical or spiritual needs of oneself or another. I'm going to read that again. Redemptive suffering. It's human suffering when accepted and offered up in union with the passion of Christ can remit the just punishment for one's sins or for the sins of another or for the other physical or spiritual needs of oneself or another. God can take your suffering and He can baptize it. This is essential to who we are. This is a really handy way for us to know how to deal with our suffering and how to understand the suffering of others too and how God handed certain lots to certain people. I remember when I was young, many of you know I've shared it, my mom was paralyzed, she was paralyzed for 11 years. Never once in my entire life do I have one memory, not even one, I can't even say one finger up, that I've ever seen her complain. Imagine moms, you can't carry your kids. Right when we were born, she realized she had MS. She was paralyzed for 11 years. Until she died when I was 14. Her whole life she had the rosary in her hand, every time I saw her. Her best friend was Mother Angelica on EWTN. Right? And I'm telling you, I genuinely don't know if I would have been a priest if I didn't see this amazing suffering that was offered up to Christ in union with His suffering and how it transformed the family. 
Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it cannot bear fruit. This is the mystery of our salvation. This is the mystery of the passion, isn't it? That's core to who we are. You, by your sufferings, have the opportunity to be transformed by one degree to another like Christ. You have an opportunity to transform your family, your entire church. Imagine this man born blind. This is playing the hypothetical. Would, we, would he have known Jesus? Would he have come to know and believe and worship him? I don't know. But look what the good that God brought out of it. When it's baptized by the Lord. When the idea of suffering is baptized by the Lord, he transforms it. He transforms it. St. Paul says, he's pointing back to what I said earlier, you can have one option, you can have another option. He says, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly grief leads to death. So if you want to be miserable and accept that just things are miserable and without God, be stuck in the world, you're going to have nothing but the fruits of death and misery and despair. On the other hand, look how much God can bring out of godly grief. Salvation itself. And so I want you to just take this last piece of advice. I don't want to forget to say this. Stop asking for suffering. A lot of people ask for suffering. You know what you should ask for instead? Ask for the ability to live through your life properly with the suffering that you're already, exist- already experiencing. So you can carry your suffering faithfully right now. Stop asking for extra suffering. But I'll tell you this. Any suffering that you've gone through, I'll say for myself, I don't regret any of it. It's defined and helped me to become the person I am and transform me. I don't know if you can say that either, but... Nevertheless, uh, we have this invitation to re-examine and review how we see what we go through, how what others go through in light of the cross. And the Lord is calling us to baptize the way we think so that we can see how His providence is working and willing to work in anything that we go through. And so I ask the Lord, we'll offer up, as that phrase goes, and all of the suffering that we experience and those around us so that he can transform us and others. Amen.